What's up, everybody, and welcome to the 87th draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside, he's allergic to tomatoes, but he's tomato meter approved, Eric Marchin. Matt, I finally saw the empty man. <laughs> That's <laughs> welcome to the empty cast, where each and every week Eric discusses the empty man. Yeah, you actually watched it. It's a real thing. It is. It's very real. It's two hours and seventeen minutes, and uh, is a it? Lot- oh yeah, there's a lot of blowing into bottles. <laughs> okay, I'll talk about right. it more in the what we watch section. But yeah, um, it's it's interesting, and in just in terms of like how the film was poorly kind of discarded by Disney after the Fox merger. I mean, Fox, it's also strange because just going into this, the 20th century Fox logo is still on it. So like when you're watching it, like it's that logo, 20th century Fox is not 20th century studios. No, 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 they didn't change. They didn't even bother. (laughs) Um, But watching it, it's, it's fascinating because right now online, there's this huge thing of almost like a reclaiming of this, like, you know, of the empty man lost masterpiece. And it's not quite that, but there are elements in it that I think are solid and worth sort of talking about and some creepy visuals that kind of work. And there's a lot of stuff that doesn't work that, you know, takes up a lot of time with building the mythology of it all. So um, yeah, I'll go into it more later on, but like, I just thought it was interesting that I kind of finally caught up with this movie that did you rent it or did it pop up somewhere? I rented it. I rented it. I, I, I was going to wait until it popped up on Disney Disney plus Plus star, (laughs) but then I figured like, you know, is it going to ever be available on there? Because again, they kind of just seem to like dump it, you know, last summer, uh, a week before I think it, it was going it to be released, will. right? And and kind of with no fanfare whatsoever, there were no reviews pre yeah uh, release. So yeah, it's it's just interesting. But uh, yeah, the Empty Man, I am unfulfilled. Other than the Empty Man, how you been otherwise? I'm okay. I mean, like the last uh, time we recorded was our uh, review for The Unholy, which you can go listen to on the Untitled Movie Reviews. Shameless plug. Um, I've been just living in damnation over the Easter weekend. How about yourself? About the same. You know, we are in um, our third lockdown, even though I don't think the second one ever really. Sorry, shutdown. My bad. Um, You got to be careful with the wording of it. Are we in the gray um, zone? Are we in the twilight zone? Who knows? It seemed all of the above. Um, I didn't think the second one even ended, but um, big old Doug Ford uh, just keeps confusing everyone. Um, So I don't know what the fuck is happening anymore. I haven't for the last year. But I haven't really left my house, you know, um, since, you know, I think I've been the most strict out of most people I know. I think you're in the same boat as me where we really don't go out unless we absolutely have to. And um, I get people, you know, we're over a year uh, into this. We've been doing the podcast remotely for over a year. It's wild. Um, But I think, uh, you know, I'm just trying to make it through. Um, Apologies on the delay, everyone that we were, you know, we're going to cover South by Southwest in this episode. We're going to talk about a bunch of trailers. We're going to talk about all the news we've missed. Uh, Been going through some family stuff. Uh, People probably saw online. My my grandfather passed away, um, which right around South by Southwest and and that period of right after, I think, or right during. I don't even remember now. But uh, so that was a little rough. And then going through some stuff, um, you know, some personal stuff on my family's 
side again right now. So it's been a little rough over. I mean, the whole year has been rough. The last couple of years have been rough really with, um, you know, I, I, I'm pretty open with what I, uh, you know, this podcast is therapeutic for me. I get to either tell you or tell the audience what we're going with, not only in the entertainment industry, but you know, what we've been going on in our lives and not just what shitty Mountain Dews I'm drinking or what Taco Bell I'm Not having. a sponsor. No, not at all. I wish. Um, so, you know, that's why it's a little bit delayed. That's why our South by Southwest coverage is, you know, a, a few weeks late and why it was a little scatterbrained. But uh, just some, you know, life keeps throwing some shit at me and I keep trying to truck through it. So, um, and I'm doing all right. Otherwise, it's all okay right now. It's just... Uh, you know, we kept doing the reviews. So like Eric mentioned, you guys can go check out the unholy Godzilla versus Kong, mighty ducks, game changers, bad trip, uh, nobody invincible Falcon and winter soldiers, Zack Snyder's justice league. So we kept pumping out, you know, reviews. Those all came out within the last time we recorded this show. So, um, that was the one thing, you know, keeping me going and, and, uh, you know, just trying to get out, have some exercise, go hiking with Nevis. Um, the weather's getting nicer. So there is some, some, you know, silver lining to this whole thing. I think, you know, it's supposed to be almost close to 20 degrees Celsius this week here in, um, here in the Durham region. So, uh, looking forward to that, but otherwise, you know, life, man. (laughs) Yep. It finds a way. It certainly does. But yeah, like I mentioned, we are going to uh, give you our impressions of the South by Southwest Film Festival. So um, let's get into that, Eric, because um, I feel like that's one of the the biggest things we wanted to talk about. So uh, earlier uh, this last month in March, um, we uh, were lucky to attend the South by Southwest Film Festival digitally. Um, And originally we were going to do individual reviews for the movies that we saw, but um, we thought we'd compile them into this episode and do kind of a roundup of how we felt about the festival as a whole in the films that we saw, just because the way it kind of netted out with my personal family stuff happening around the same time and right after, as well as kind of some of the restrictions that we had during the festival, it kind of didn't pan out exactly how we wanted it to. Um, but that's okay. We did see a few movies and I wanted to talk about that with you. So just your quick thoughts. Um, how did you feel about the festival as a whole and, uh, about the movies that you saw? Honestly, um, because of the geo, uh, restrictions that we had, the geo lock restrictions, I almost felt that the festival for, for us was almost a non-entity. Like it didn't really feel like it happened. Like there was some stuff that we watched that was available, you know, internationally, because that's the whole topic of conversation. How does, where does Canada fall when it comes to coverage for a U.S. Uh, festival? You know, I mean, Sundance, we, with both TIFF and Sundance, but specifically Sundance, because Sundance is also a U.S. film festival, um, we were very fortunate that uh, everything was available to us to watch in- If you had a press badge. If yeah. you had a press badge in Canada, you know, and in, in, in anywhere that you were watching it. So there wasn't a problem there. And some of the guidelines weren't very specific with the South by Southwest Film Festival. So a lot of the stuff that we wanted to watch and a lot of the stuff that we were going to cover and that were going to be individual reviews ended up being scrapped because of that. We only saw about four or five things in total. So it was like, okay, well, are we going to dedicate a page to each one. And I would say maybe one of those movies is worthy of 
having uh, an individual review being Ninja Baby, but other than that, um, I would say that we can talk about what we watched and kind of a a free-for-all here and just kind of go through what we watched. But yeah, I I mean, I really – I would never say that we had the Sundance Film Festival experience after partaking in the virtual Sundance this year, but even more so with South by Southwest, like it did, it just didn't feel like there was even any kind of resemblance to a routine of like, okay, I'll watch these couple of movies today and then I'll, you know, hop on the computer and record with you. And, you know, there, it just kind of was like, okay, I'll, I'll throw this on it, you know, at late at night, if I have, a spare moment or if I'm not writing a review for a, a movie that's coming out this week. And again, not to sound ungrateful, ungrateful to South, or anything uh, Southwest, yeah. but it would have been nice if they were a little bit more upfront or, or specific in highlighting um, the restrictions um, when it came to international um, press and, and yeah. badge holders. Yeah. So South by Southwest is interesting because they, they give you a badge um, and yes, it's free because you're, it's through the press accreditation and things like that, but it was very much treated other than this kind of library website where they had a, a, a few other films that we could watch as a normal public badge. So a lot of those geo restrictions that Eric just talked about, talked about um, weren't, you know, uh, void or not void. Um, like usually at Sundance and even at TIFF, like Eric mentioned, if you had a press accreditation, they let you watch, you know, all of the films, um, even if it was geo locked for the public, because a lot at TIFF and at Sundance, you had to be, you know, in Ontario or in Utah, um, or it just in the United States in general, or in Canada in general, um, to watch those movies. If you had a public ticket to something. So, um, whether it was through, you know, lack of clarity or just Eric and I not realizing, um, or just assuming that, you know, most things would be available to us as press. Um, unfortunately that was not the case. So we made this big list of movies that we wanted to cover in and series unfor- as well. It wasn't just movies. It was series, also series. Yeah. yeah. And unfortunately a lot of the movies that we wanted to cover were locked to being in the United States. Um, and there are ways that we probably could have gotten around that, but as press, I feel like it is our responsibility to, you know, when we get a badge and and when we sign up for these things to play by the rules and not saying anyone who, you know, might have used a VPN or anything like to We're not watch naming a lot names. of these movies. <laughs> I'm not naming anyone because I mean, to each their own, you can do what you want. But I just felt like, you know what, it says it's locked to that. We have to respect, you know, the rights holders. And if they say like, oh, this is only available to those in the US, then we have to cover the stuff that's only available outside of the US. And unfortunately, that list was a lot smaller. (laughs) And a lot of the films on that list weren't necessarily the things that we wanted to cover. So as the festival began, we started to realize this and, um, Unfortunately, we just decided to cover, you know, three or four movies that um, interested us and that were available to us that were available to us. So for me, that was Kid Candidate, Alien on Stage and Ninja Baby. So I really only watched those three films. And um, and yeah, after discussing with Eric, we just thought it'd be better to have this overall conversation of how the festival. I mean, I still love South by Southwest. I think it looks like it's interesting from a digital perspective. I think it worked the least out of you know, at least the three digital film festivals, not only because it was locked to, um, 
you know, certain films. I just felt like South by Southwest has such a vibe to it in Austin, Texas, where it's got the music festival. It's got the comedy stuff. It's got the, the industry panels. It has the, uh, the film festival. And I felt like that one out of the most, like TIFF and South by uh, and Sundance, obviously you're losing a bit of it watching it at home digitally but and they have a vibe to them as well trucking through the snow at sundance even though we've never been i just from conversations with people and knowing what that festival is and tiff you know running around the city yes you're losing that but south by southwest feels like a giant party almost that whole week that it runs like going out to bars eating barbecue going around like just enjoying texas and having it be this big huge experience where i felt like i wasn't super intrigued to go you know watch a panel or a live music performance while I was waiting for another movie. And like even the films that they had. And then especially when it was locked to us, it just felt like I'm like, Oh yeah, this almost feels non-existent. And this feels like the one that just didn't work for me, like as a digital festival. And maybe we're, I, I mean, I just, even seeing the, you know, the conversation online on Twitter and, and things like that. Like I felt like, at Sundance and during TIFF, we're very much a part of film Twitter and just Twitter in general, that there was this big conversation around all of the movies and all of the premieres, even if it was different in the sense where everyone was watching things at different times, where South by Southwest, it was very much like, no, everyone was watching it almost at the same time. But I just felt like that conversation wasn't really there during South by Southwest. And even the movies that you know, you hear coming out of TIFF and at a Sundance, like I just really didn't hear that much out of even the stuff we missed out on, um, at South by Southwest. So like, yeah, overall it's like, I still really want to go to that festival in person. Like, I feel like it would be a blast. Like, I feel like I'd have so much fun, um, going down to Austin, but the way that this digital festival panned out, just, I think it's just the restrictions that we had. And, um, and the movies that we watched, like I don't have much to say about Kid Candidate or Alien on Stage. Like I enjoyed both of them um, in their own rights, but I felt like they were fairly forgettable or pretty by the books. Um, you know, easy watches. Um, one obviously about you know a, a group of bus drivers in the UK that put on a a comedic performance of 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 Ridley Scott's Alien that I kind of thought was Horror charming. Space and, doesn't work, Matt. <laughs> yeah, we won't get into that. Um, I think she was kind of being sarcastic. I do too, tweet. but but and, it is and people funny. taking it way too seriously, yeah. and it just becomes insufferable when people are like, oh, just let people also have their opinions. Who cares? It doesn't affect you. Like it literally doesn't affect you if you say something i don't care that's your opinion it doesn't bother me at all that's you can think whatever you want who cares <laughs> anyways i'm not getting into that um and then kid candidate being we thought it would be interesting because this kid had a harmony corinne inspired you know political campaign and i thought he was a interesting uh character but Peyton you know again um, you're, you're yeah. talking about who's running for city uh council, council uh, yeah. an official uh position and he's a younger guy um, I, I watched this one as well. I, I think what I liked the most about it, besides its sweet running time, um, was that the character or the subject was so likable, but there were moments that I felt could have been sort of explored a little bit deeper or kind of gone into, like knowing about this kind of almost weird, like Ponzi scheme that this, uh, bank of, 
Texas Armarillo is a part of. And like that, I was like, okay, that's kind of interesting. Like knowing that this is where like a lot of the money from the US and internationally comes to this kind of small sort of unsuspecting town. And then like the stuff with Hayden's own family is kind of glossed over. And this almost felt more like a proof of concept to make something a little bit longer or bigger or not necessarily just focus on the titular kid candidate um, mm-hmm. because it almost felt like, okay, well, part of it was Hayden running and part of it is looking at, you know, the idea of, you know, this, this small town that's basically dying because you have, you know, the rich, you know, keeping everything in check Keep and, going and to go to the bathroom. status quo. And then to the point where, you know, Hayden is also kind of struggling or feeling the responsibility of taking this job seriously and not just, you know, looking at it as making a fun little viral video that is, yeah, inspired by, you know, Gummo and things like that and 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 uh, Harmony Curran's um, sort of aesthetics. But as the as the film goes on, and again, it's a very slight kind of watch you realizing okay there's there are so many other avenues in this film that could have been explored in a in a more deeper way and maybe you know if if the filmmaker had kind of you know gone to those other places maybe it wouldn't be about the kid candidate anymore and maybe that was kind of you know Jasmine uh, Stodell's um sort of main sort of focus but i feel like when you're making a movie the idea especially when you're making a doc a doc isn't organic a doc like you can have you know a subject that you're tackling but it can turn into something else entirely when you're making it and, and a great example of that i mean we talk about him all the time is is jay Cheel with with how to build a time machine that movie was supposed to be a very different film and it was supposed to be more about like, like you know this this online sort of legend mythology of this guy named john teeter and basically it becoming about sort of personal stories of nostalgia and loss instead and and i feel with the kid candidate you know this filmmaker kind of no matter what was trying to shape the narrative towards hayden running and there were so many moments where it's like oh yeah you know i would actually like kind of like an avenue to go down and see like you know what this this bank is all about or what you know hayden's upbringing is about and maybe the filmmaker also got a little too close to hayden because there's a moment in the film where you see like a series of texts between the two so maybe yeah. she kind of felt protective towards him that it almost like she didn't want to go too deep or or or, or kind of push him to a place where he might feel uncomfortable, which is, you know, ethically responsible, but at the same time, you know, getting too attached to your subject can also hurt the film you're making. Right. So you don't become as objective um, sometimes too. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty much with you on all of that. And then the other film that you mentioned that um, is, is quite good and probably we could have done an individual review for uh, was Ninja Baby, um, which I um, it's, it's been a while now since I, I've watched it, but um, I, I, I liked it quite a bit. So um, the story in Ninja Baby being um, a Norwegian uh, coming of age yeah. film. Yeah. Uh, a woman named Raquel uh, finds out that she's pregnant and doesn't realize it. Um, six months uh, to be exact. Six, yeah. six months pregnant after a one night stand. And then it's about her kind of, she is an artist and, and it's about, uh, you know, she draws this character, which is a ninja baby being a stealthy baby that she didn't know about. And it's blends animation and, and, and real life. And um, I just thought it was thoroughly charming. And, and, and I, I thought it was uh, quite, quite good. Yeah, I, I agree. It was, 
and it had sort of a couple things that I don't normally always love in, in yeah. films like this, where like it blends live action and animation. I, I think specifically of Mariel Heller's directorial debut, um, The Diary of a Teenage Girl, and also even um, American Splendor with uh, Paul Giamatti, where like you have uh, 2D animated characters interacting with your lead, whether it be, you know, to do with the psychosis of the character or the neurotic kind of nature of what's going on, like with an inner dialogue, it's almost like a sort of, you know, first person perspective, but with, you know, sort of a character having this conversation, that's one of their creations. And it works, I think because of her being um, a cartoonist and, and comic book uh, artist and sort of her lifestyle. But I think what I really liked about the movie, not only is it, is it charming as Matt said, I think it's also showing, how it's very, you know, uh, sex positive and yes, specifically I totally agree with that. I was just going to bring that up. The idea of having an abortion in Norway is not looked down upon in any way. It's just a practical kind of means for somebody that might not want to have children. And that's the other thing and that that's I really totally liked. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and that's the thing I really liked about this movie is that, you know, the, the main character isn't a bad person, but she's just – she knows she's – just not interested in having a child and she's only about 23 and like not that it matters age-wise but you know like she she knows that okay i'm that's not the life i want to have but at the same time it doesn't mean that i hate this child for coming into the world it's just you know now i've got to figure out how to you know get out of the situation in a, in, in a way that that'll work for both of them because she does care about the child. It's not like she wants to abort the child just because she hates children or something like that. It's, it's because again, you know, she feels that she's just not ready to have a child. And then like, even when she, you know, contemplates adoption, she's actually very active in wanting the child to go to someone who will take care of the she child. Approves of and, she, yeah. she does really care. She just doesn't want this kid. Like, yeah, and she, I, she, I, she's I, a very socialist minded yeah. kind a person in that regard because she doesn't like sort of like super rich people and sort of things like that yeah. and and sort of again like there's a little bit of knocked up in there and kind of like the idea of like exploring yeah. like who's the father and that kind of thing there's a great character named dick jesus and sort of where that character's yeah. arc goes um but overall like i really love the I idea. like her relationship with uh nadir uh kademi's character too. yes I just yeah, like, yeah yeah and, and it's it's a really lovely thoughtful film that is is very much you know, supporting this character's motivation and point of view. And I think it would actually make a really wonderful double bill with Obvious Child as well, the Jenny Slate movie. So, um, yeah, it was the one film where I was kind of like, yeah, this is, this is, this kind of made it worthwhile. But it, it's also interesting as well because it was a film that premiered at the Berlin Film Festival in February after, uh, S Sundance. So it was kind of an interesting holdover that kind of worked its way over across, uh, the pond into, uh, uh, America and, and sort of became a part of that festival because there were some, uh, Sundance films as well that kind of played both, um, Sundance and South by Southwest. Yeah. No, I'm I'm totally with you. And I was going to bring up the same point of the sex positive dialogue and just, you know, her relationship with her roommate and how open they were and just how open she is with everyone and how it was just, it's very normalized. Like it's not prude-ish at all, but not overly sexualized either. It's just life. And that's what I kind of liked about it. And um, it's very funny. I thought it was charming. And um, I think it's 
and we'll probably see an English language remake that's not very good in the next five years of it. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, you um, probably nailed it on that one. I mean, with the announcement today of Naomi Watts being in an English language remake of of Goodbye or Goodnight Mommy, like yeah. I'm just kind of like. Yeah, you know what? Like the the original ones, there. Like you don't need a remake necessarily. To but people will not watch a subtitled movie, Eric. So even if they try to trick them um, on Netflix with like a dubbed trailer where no one's mouths are shown speaking. Um, anyways, yeah, Ninja Baby definitely worth your time. Um, I'm not sure if it's got picked up by a North American distributor yet. yet. No. Yeah. So and that's another problem. Is like, again, it's a it's a solid little you know it'll find its way like somebody will pick it up at some point like it'll it'll probably end up either at like a shout factory or kino or ifc somewhere like that and and yeah i hope more people will will get a chance to see it because it is definitely the highlight of our limited experience of south by southwest but it is a very good movie yeah so yeah, I mean, uh, anything else you wanted to mention, Eric, that you yeah, watched? Yeah, um... I watched two other movies. I'll, I'll be quick about them. One is basically, like, it felt like, uh, you know, th- this filmmaker, Nick Gillespie, watched Todd Phillips' Joker and was <laughs> dared to make the same film, but just set it in England and also have the character kind of be... Um, someone who doesn't actually kill anybody, but is kind of there and seeking revenge. So the idea is uh, Paul Dude's uh, Deadly Lunch Break um, is about a man who has a dream of being on kind of like a star search American Idol type show and sort of, you know, getting his 15 minutes of fame. Um, And his mom is his biggest cheerleader. He still lives at home. He kind of looks like Robert Downey Jr. a little bit. Um, And sort of a series of events play out where everything goes horribly wrong on this one day. And the people that kind of get in his way are the ones that he blames for it, whether it be, you know, a a station conductor or um, a priest or, um, you know, a restaurant owner who's reappropriating Japanese culture um, to the point of sort of satirizing it. And it's done in such a, again, very obvious way. And he works at this, um, sort of tacky um, kind of, you know, thrift store of of sorts. And basically what happens is he becomes famous by setting up his Snapchat uh, account during his lunch break the day afterwards, after all these horrible events happened to him to sort of wreak havoc and get revenge on those people that kind of derailed his career and made his life a living hell but ultimately he doesn't really have anything he's not really responsible for any of the things it's just inconsequential to what kind of happens throughout and you're just looking at this movie and you're kind of like okay i get the point like that would have worked once as a joke but it keeps going and going and going again um alice lowe and steve orm from um sightseers have small roles in this as well and i was kind of hoping that they would kind of add you know, maybe a little bit of something to their moments, but it's, it's really kind of one note. And, and again, like you're just thinking like, okay, this guy was literally dared to make his version of the Joker. And it's, it's, it's pretty terrible um, to be honest it, and forgettable. Um, and then the other movie I watched, which had moments and I think it was kind of interesting, but it ultimately fell flat is uh, Bradley Grant Smith's our father, which is about two estranged sisters who are brought back together uh, because the father recently passed away and they're kind of going over to his house to collect 
um, you know, whatever effects that they want. And they also have three brothers, stepbrothers from another marriage between the father and the ex-wife or now ex-wife who've always kind of been distant. And one of them is kind of sketchy and creepy. And they learn that they actually have an uncle um, that they never really knew in their, in their childhood at all. And they are kind of curious to find out whether or not he is still around and to get in touch with him again. And part of me liked the movie in the sense of like looking at this as very kind of a, a, a sad depiction of not, having somebody close to you in, in, in a family and like having family, but not, you know, in, in the very, the very definition of like the, you know, biology of family, but not having somebody there for you or to be with you or, or someone that you can kind of confine in. And I found that that was actually really kind of poignant and sad. And, but at the same time, there are jokes in this movie that feel very much of like an indie film where they're like inter- interjecting almost like this quirky humor for the sake to kind of add another layer to it. And it kind of almost distracts to the point where you're you're just thinking to yourself like tonally, it just doesn't work. Like it feels like you're making like this quirky Sundance South by Southwest movie where, you know, it's it's sort of taking away from the poignant moments of sort of trying to reconnect with somebody who maybe doesn't want to reconnect with you and kind of how sad that is or tragic that is in, in a very personal manner. Um, so yeah, our father is, is, is fine. I, I, I think it, it looks great. The performances are good. I just think that overall tonally it, it's a little bit uh, unbalanced and it was kind of disappointing just in terms of, of what it was trying to accomplish. It just didn't sort of make the landing. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's <clears throat> maybe kind of sums up, the festival in general. <laughs> um, yeah, unfortunately, um, uh, again, I think South by Southwest, a fantastic festival. I hope to go one day in person. Um, it just covering it from Canada with the restrictions that we had um, was a little difficult and not saying that there, you know, weren't plenty of films that we could have watched. It's just for our audience. Um, you, those who are listening and, and what we know kind of works for us and the stuff that we're interested in. Um, we weren't kind of able to watch a lot of that stuff. So unfortunately um, the festival like Sarah, like Eric said, is was sort of non-existent, but I did get the one you know hidden gem in Ninja Baby that I thought uh, was quite good. So um, yeah, that pretty much wraps up uh, South by Southwest. Um, again, I hope Eric and I are able to once this is all over, maybe um, pop down to Austin, Texas, and attend in person because I really do feel like it would be a blast. And just thinking about that, ooh, that Austin, Texas barbecue, Eric. That's all I want right now. Right. Yeah. And, and and I think again, like I don't want to judge the festival as a whole based on this experience, which was a disappointment. You know, I can't lie about that. And 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 I want to be critical in 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 saying to if you know if the South by Southwest people are listening to this or if yeah. they're still listening to this. You know, I think the most important thing, maybe in terms of of sort of you know taking an evaluation of our experience, is to make clear what the guidelines and boundaries are when it comes to watching these films and what's available and what's not available so we can be better prepared going into the festival and knowing that okay well these are the films that we have that we can watch and not being kind of sidelined the first day by the whole thing yeah no i agree 
Uh, moving on to what we have been watching. Eric, you brought up The Empty Man. Oh, I sure um, did. So you checked out uh, Disney's The Empty Man, the newest entry in Disney Princesses. Um, and you said you did you like it or not? So you kind I, of elaborated on it. I liked it a little bit. Like, I th- OK, OK, here's here's my thoughts on this. I think what happened to this movie is unfair. I think I've always said this about every movie that every film, no matter good or bad, deserves its day in court, meaning it deserves to be screened in a theater or it deserves a proper uh, streaming release, you know, and, and, and that means proper marketing and, and the time and effort put in by the studio to release it, even if it's a dud and they know it's a dud, give still give it a chance. Empty man, the empty man was discarded in a disgraceful manner that I think like, again, I can't think of any other movie that was released that way that the week of its release, the trailer was dumped out and there were no pre-screenings. There were, there was no press unless press went the day of to a theater that was opened uh, last summer at the end of the summer, like even new mutants, which also was on the shelf for so long, at least got a proper release at the end of um, you know, the, the last year or last summer. Yeah. So like it, it just, it, it's, it's unfair to it in that way. And what the bye-bye man is trying to do is trying to build this. The empty man? Do you mean? The, the empty man. The bye-bye <laughs> man. No, the reason why I'm bringing up the bye-bye man, and I'll bring this up in a, in a second, because they're actually very similar in some ways, but the empty man now has this mystique uh, sort of created around it, that this thing is something that is, more sort of alluring to you know a certain selection a group of uh online film goers that maybe aren't fans of horror movies or aren't fans of genre specifically but will like this because not a lot of people have seen it and they can claim it as their own the empty man directed by written and directed by uh david Pryor, um who actually used to work as a uh, special features guy so he'd do he would do like a lot of special behind the scenes uh bonus features for blu-rays and dvds and title cards and things like that puts so much into this movie and there's stuff in it that i really did appreciate like there's this weird opening prologue that takes place in the himalayas that is kind of a little bit of a riff on again going back to alien and there's a skeleton that very much looks like the space jockey and sort of setting up this you know, mythology of this creature or the supernatural entity. And you're kind of like, okay, this is cool. This, this, this is something out of, you know, hereditary or, you know, the elevated horror genre that it's kind of playing with. And then it, we're kind of brought into the present because it takes place in 95 when it starts with the prologue. And then we're kind of brought into a world where, you know, we follow James Badge Dale's uh, former police officer who is mourning a tragic loss. And now he's investigating the disappearance of kids who have kind of bought into this superstition of if you blow into a bottle on a bridge at night and think about the empty man, the empty man will come and get you three days later. He's working on a schedule similar to Samara from the ring movie except he gets it okay. done in three instead of seven days um but why i brought why i had that sort of moment of that that freudian slip with the bye-bye man is that it's very similar to the bye-bye man where like you become obsessed with the bye-bye man and you kind of repeat his name but it's more quote-unquote philosophical overall and it is looking at this movie like it's not as good as ravenous or a cure for wellness but it kind of falls 
in that kind of, you know, pre or yeah, that pre sort of uh, Disney by Fox catalog of horror movies where like I can understand why it was hard to market because it's not a typical Scarefest, even though it gets to some of those kind of traditional moments or beats throughout and they're there. It's, it is a horror film, but it is much more of an existential dread than anything else. And I understand why, like it would have been a tough sell no matter what, but it still is weird that they couldn't just release this movie in like a January, February sort of first quarter and, and just be done with it and give it the proper release, whether it be streaming or, or cause it's been around, they, they, it was finished in, in 2018. Yeah. So it was it just was sitting in, there. Yeah. yeah. It was just sitting there. So there are some moments I think that do work. And there are some moments that feel like, okay, why does this movie need to be two hours and 17 minutes to tell this story? The mythology of the bye-bye man or the empty man. I'm going to keep calling him the bye-bye man because they're, again, they, they feel like they're uh, the same coin, which the bye-bye man uses. Um, it, it just kind of feels like, okay, like I, I get what this filmmaker is going for, but ultimately it could have been trimmed down a little bit and you still would have gotten something similar in terms of right. scope and scale of what this movie is doing. So yeah, it falls in line with the Bye Bye Man, the Mothman Prophecies, the Wicker Man, A Cure for Wellness, Ravenous, but those latter three, um, not the Nicolas Cage Wicker Man, but the original 70s one with Edward Woodward are all better than this but it is it is a curiosity i just don't think it's a like an undiscovered masterpiece right i feel you on that i i don't know if i'll ever get around to it maybe when it's on disney plus star i'll throw it on one day but um i haven't had the motivation to you know i, I mean the trailers did nothing for me but some of the online chatter has had me intrigued like you but um i don't know when the hell i'll get around to it uh, on my end it, it's been i was back on my bullshit with um all the marvel movies but i think i was kind of wrapping up the last few when um w- when we did the last show so i watched infinity war Endgame, uh and spider-man far from home although i don't think i've i've finished far from home it's a little too fresh in my memory where i haven't fresh been- from home yeah, I haven't been super like motivated to watch it because I think it was so recent. Um, but obviously, you know, I don't need to. I've talked. Yeah, we'll talk more Marvel stuff when we get into Black Widow and Loki coming up. So I'll just leave that there. Right. Um, there's, a, there's. I mean, did you get to the the um, sort of surrealist sequence between Mysterio and not Spider-Man? yet, which is the best sequence yeah. in that movie and, and makes the whole thing kind of worth it. And I do like Hall's kind of wacky mysterio oh he's twist fun like there's like, that yeah. one twist or i mean i don't want to spoil it because i mean I'm, it's, it's you can spoil it now well, the, the reveal of who it. he yeah. actually is yeah. in the bar is incredible like you can tell in that scene he is having so much fun yeah it's like nightcrawler jake gyllenhaal kind of or or uh uh what's it called um He's so wacky in Bong Joon-ho's oh, Okja. Uh, Okja. He's fantastic. Everyone needs to go watch that. Um, anyways, uh, the Mighty Ducks trilogy, we talk uh, extensively on our thoughts on our uh, Mighty Ducks Game Changers review. So we did 40 plus minutes on kind of the Mighty Ducks franchise uh, leading into Game Changers. So if you want Eric and I's thoughts on the Mighty Ducks trilogy, you guys can pop over to that review. Uh, the first you know, 20, 25 minutes are all about that original trilogy which is very nostalgic to me and i do very much enjoy so uh go check that out same goes for you know the monster verse 
so a lot of the stuff I've been watching has been leading into, you know, the few few franchises that we have left in 2021 coming out. Although theaters are starting to open in the US and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but I watched the MonsterVerse movies. So I rewatched uh, Gareth Edwards' Godzilla, Jordan Voight Roberts' uh, Kong Skull Island, and uh, Michael, Doherty. uh, Michael Doherty's uh, King of the Monsters, and then leading into Godzilla versus Kong. So we kind of talk about the MonsterVerse in our review of Godzilla versus Kong. So you guys can check that out. I feel like this whole segment is just me plugging reviews that we've done because that's all i've really been watching however um i did watch mortal kombat one and annihilation so did i um yeah so, so did i so we have the 2021 mortal kombat film uh coming out in the next couple weeks right like ne- not next week but the week after yeah it was supposed um, to come out on the 16th but then it was yeah. moved a week to the 23rd i believe i almost think we should save our thoughts for, for that review that review and do yeah. kind of what we did with the mighty ducks or godzilla and kong and sort so of this talk whole about segment whole. for me just a plug for our review show Matt, so, go, such a tease. Uh, so go check out um our uh our review for mortal kombat what when you it's up should have said is Get over here. Yeah. Uh, please go subscribe to Untitled Movie Reviews. Shameless plug. Uh, other than that, man, like I've been watching some TV, watching some Superstore on Netflix with Nevis, which has been enjoyable. Uh, I did check out my Uncle Mark lent me his Oculus Go VR helmet. So, oh, yeah. I saw, um, I think it was Sarah. Sarah your just who posted, posted a, a very depressed, depressing photo of me, just like, you can never look cool wearing a VR helmet. So, like, and I had it plugged in at that point too, because it wasn't fully charged um what i will say is i popped on the netflix app and the prime video app in the vr helmet and um both are very very cool um i do think we are i haven't used any of the newer ones so mind you this was an oculus go which is the entry level like cheapest vr helmet you can pretty much get and even then it looked pretty cool so i could only imagine when we get to a point where you know, it's seamless. It looks fantastic. It's high quality. Maybe it's even a contact lens or whatever. Like it's going to be fucking awesome. Cause Eric, like the prime video app, I, I want to show it to you when this bullshit's over because like it's, it's so cool. Cause like if you're missing that experience of sitting in a movie theater, like the prime video app, every time you start a movie or TV show, it puts you in a essentially a private screening room and you can choose the size of the screen that you want based on how far back you like to sit from the screen and it's all properly masked the the lights go down when it starts it's like it's so fucking cool and if we can get to a point where wearing that helmet is really comfortable and the clarity is like 4k doesn't look like you're looking through giant goggles like if it feels seamless it's going to be a game changer. And if you can get like a really good pair of like Dolby Atmos headphones or something like that, it's, it's going to change things. And I, I will, I will say that right now. And I'm, I mean, I'm probably late to the party when it comes to people who enjoy VR, but like, I feel like what I don't hear enough people talking about is that like, yeah, streaming services are slowly killing movie theaters, but I feel like once you can get a device in your hands, that's a couple hundred bucks that makes it feel like you're sitting in in a movie theater and you can watch any movie on it like that is a game changer to me like and it was cool right now but i still kind of like after 10 20 minutes start to get like you know my my face hurts or something like that or the sound's not great because i just have earbuds in or something like that but putting on invincible or putting on a couple other things on prime video or the netflix app's a little different because it looks like you're sitting in this like cabin this lodge with a very large tv in front of you but i love that if something's in two 
239 widescreen it's properly masked on both things or like it's dark enough that it looks great so it was like it was a cool thing to experience and i'm excited for the future because if we have a future where i can throw on a a headset and it feels like i'm sitting at a movie theater like that's the dream right there and like and mind you i think they need to figure out how you have that experience of watching with someone because it's going to be hard if everyone's got their own vr helmets on and you all look like a bunch of morons and and but maybe there is a i know cinema it'll be like the scene in um, demolition man where sandra bullock and stallone hook up exactly having sex that way yeah um but i think big screen vr you can watch with friends and it looks like you're all sitting in the seats together i hope you're just able to mute people but like or or whatever (laughs) but um I think you are, but anyways, my first impressions in, in the, what we've been watching for that, because I've, um, I've really kind of enjoyed, um, messing around with it. And I see the future of being like, oh, this could be really, really cool. Um, I just feel like it's such a singular personal experience. And I like going to the movies alone as much as the next guy. And me and you are very much, you know, in that, solo movie club thing where yeah, we're, we're just, that fucking asshole who's yeah. all alone in the theater <laughs> which i'm fine with but oh, like same. it's almost even more depressing when you're in your own home and you're just sitting there by yourself and it's feels and you're different. doing david cronenberg and, cosplay yes and you look around and you're in an empty movie theater and this vr thing is like it's still got a tinge of sadness to it, which it's I don't know. It's almost like drinking at home or something yeah, like yeah. that, right? By like yourself. By yourself, yeah. right? Like instead of having that kind of communal experience. The yeah. one thing I am curious about though as well, and not maybe this is a technical issue or maybe it's not, but I wonder how, you know, as the technology continues to improve and we get the new VR, um, not to be confused with the TV station, uh, the old Canadian TV station, but um, – how something like strobe lighting will affect somebody wearing a, a VR set because yeah. strobe lighting specifically, like, I mean, is intense just watching it from a distant screen, but well, like it, watching it, having yeah. it that close up to your face, to your eyes, yeah, to your it's, eyes. Well, it's all about perspective. Cause like, I would say like, I don't do very well in VR with anything that's, I can't play any of the games and stuff that's moving at you. Cause I get motion sick and like, I get sweaty and I just, it, it just, I do not feel good it, like anything that's like a ro- roller coaster or they have like Disney interactive, like sequences where you can look around and things are moving. And it just made me want to vomit. Like the only stuff that worked for me was the stuff that was perspective based and very static. So if you move your head, the screens in front of you still, and it just feels like you're in a theater. So even those strobe lighting or anything like that is coming from the cinema screen. Right? So with perspective, it should feel pretty similar to if you were sitting in a living room or a movie theater, depending on what the space is, because the way that it's interacting with your eyeballs gives you that perspective that it's coming from a screen or something like that. So I don't know. I mean, interesting. I had to put contacts in every time I used it because I tried it once with glasses and you can get like a glasses spacer for it for someone who doesn't wear contacts um and i think you can even for some of the premium versions like buy lenses that you put in that are your prescription so you don't have to wear you know glasses because i thought it would be because it's so close up to your eye i thought oh you probably don't need glasses and it just works but that's not the case like because of the perspective if the font is supposed to be 20 feet away from you 
in the VR, it's still blurry to you because of the perspective, right? So um, it's fascinating tech. And I'm like five years too late of people talking about VR, but like, I feel like it's only going to take someone like I know Apple's working on a VR helmet and like someone in the mainstream. Cause I feel like Facebook and Oculus is still very nerdy. Like it's for gamers or for people who are, you know, early adopters of tech and stuff like that, that I don't think it's very mainstream, but it's just going to take, one person to put out a affordable or even expensive VR set. That's like really, really cool. And maybe the VR set just looks like your pair of glasses, Eric, or my pair of glasses or something like that, but can do something that blackens everything out and puts you in that experience, but makes it very lightweight and easy. Cause I feel like that's kind of what's deterring people. They're bulky. You usually had to plug them in, but more and more now are wireless and stuff and like that. And also they're probably, and it's expensive too. It's expensive. So. Even this one that I'm messing around with, I think is still 200 bucks or something like that. Or, um, But it is cool and I'm excited for the future because if I can you know, have my modest 50 inch TV at my house and then have a VR set if I want to watch something on a giant properly masked you know, movie screen, like that's awesome. That's what I want. But um, I think there's huge potential there and people need to buy into it. So you see Amazon and Netflix who have made VR apps, but there's no Disney plus app. There's no, there is a YouTube app, which is very interesting. Um, um, uh, porn is an early adopter of, uh, and it's so weird, dude. Like I'll be open. Like, I'm like, I have to look at that. I have to see what that's like. <laughs> so, um, I, I popped on Pornhub and I put on one of the VR, um, things and it's the weirdest. It's so weird, dude. Like it's so weird. Care to share it, what video that was? I don't know. It, uh, no, I, Ew, I don't you know. Um, it. <laughs> I don't know. I just put a couple of different ones on Eric. They're all the same <laughs> for yeah. the most part. Oh, I'm not you. there for this. They're people story. too, Matt. They're people uh, too. I'm not here for this story, but the perspective in them is so fucking weird because they haven't nailed down. Like it's all shot very quickly, obviously. And with rudimentary tech. Right. Um, so, the VR perspective is very crude and they look, gi- it looks like a giant woman is in front of you. Like you're, it looks like you're Ant-Man and there's just a giant woman. So the perspective's all messed up and it just looks like this giant human being is towering over you um, or on top of you or whatever. Um, and it's just, it's so bizarre and strange. And um, so anyways, that's my experience with VR and VR porn. <laughs> Um, I thought Amazon, I thought Amazon prime, their app was the best out of the group where it felt like you were sitting in a movie theater. And I thought that was really cool. Do you think your Um, uncle's listening to this? (laughs) No, no one's made 49 minutes into our podcast. The only people listening to this are people who don't know us personally or support like our film nerds, like Ben Shane or Alex Reno or, or, you know, a few other people, um, that know us personally. Um, hello to everyone else who doesn't know us personally but just look you now know matt a little more personally (laughs) it was weird dude i needed to share that it was no no i mean i i I get the the male curiosity of that um but it it would be fascinating now to uh to watch uh mike flanagan's oculus while wearing the oculus yeah and i mean dude prime has so much stuff and i i just kept putting different things on to see like what they would look like so i wanted to see what hateful eight looked like and um that was on the netflix app because Tenet, I wanted to the way see, it was meant to be seen yeah well i just wanted to see like different you know aspect ratios i put the lighthouse on because i was like oh will the lighthouse be properly masked or will it be on a 16 by nine screen and it was on a 16 by nine screen but the way that it blackens out 
the theater, it, it's really, really nice. And I think that's the one thing with VR too, is like when you're watching at home, you know, there's ambient light coming in from outside or from other rooms or other lights you have, your video game consoles under your TV and stuff like that, where it doesn't get completely black, right? Well, some people who have really great home theaters um, have that stuff. But um, I think it'll be really, really cool for people to check out these different things. And you, I mean, maybe I'm way late on this and everyone listening is like, yeah, Matt, I used that app like four years ago, you idiot. Yeah, so it's more of a novelty to you and to, but I think you, you're, you're on to something thing though where like it isn't it hasn't become a industry major or sort of hasn't integrated into day-to-day living the way that iphone technology has or other technology and it's been around for a while it's not like it, it's oh, I mean, no, rudimentary yeah. obviously but but it's not like you know like there, there have been whole movies based around this you know whether oh, it be totally, lawnmower yeah. man or virtuosity um but it is but interesting we're that- closer and closer to it being like a an everyday thing someone picks up it's just we're i think we're close right then you're going to get the conversation is is it a movie or is it a virtual experience you know like yeah, those know, kind of yeah. conversations in the discord there um i yeah i, I mean it, it definitely sounds interesting i i just hope that i think i would be most interested in it when it was at its peak performance yes, at its yeah. best. And then I would be more, I, I'm not against giving it a try, but it's like what the things that you're saying, like, I don't want to feel completely discombobulated or sort of like I have a headache after you still wearing can them. tell you're looking through a lens and yeah. it, like, yeah. And if it's anything like the, the IMAX 3d glasses, cause I do wear glasses. I don't wear contacts. Um, it leaves an imprint on my nose and it really, again, gives me a headache afterwards because I have my, my glasses literally pressed against my face. Um, so yeah, I, I think I would be more than open if it was a, like the best quality version that the VR Oculus experience could be, but it is still fascinating. And I'm always up for, for, for people pushing and trying to make it something adaptable. It, It just adds to, the world around us, which I think is, is interesting. So yeah, again, like I'm not uh, opposed to it in any way where I'm sure again, you'll get, you know, someone like, uh, I hate, I hate using his name because I love him, but like Martin Scorsese or somebody being like coming in and saying like, you know, it's not, it's not the way that you watch a movie, you know, like the way that you watch movies, you go to the theater, which again, like I, I think that that experience still is the best. And I am like many people like yourself are longing for that experience again, yeah. whenever that might be very jealous of the United States. We'll talk about that in. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Bit. But I mean, um, you know, anything hopefully else? In, Sorry. In, yeah. in, in the next little while, we'll at least have our first shot. So yeah. like, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anything else you've been watching? I mean, I've been watching a lot of stuff because that's my Going normal again. I bullshit so keep talking all right so matt's going to go to the bathroom i'm going to talk about what i watch and i'm not going to really get into too much detail other than uh let's see here i'm just looking up on my letterbox as matt mentioned uh we watched both of us watched the mighty ducks movies and the mortal Kombat films um i watched a couple movies with uh the late great george seagal uh california split uh, the director's cut, which was on Amazon Prime and uh, will be available on the Criterion channel um, and hopefully soon available on disc because Criterion has been promising the Robert Altman film for a while now. And 
you can definitely tell that the Safdie brothers got quite a bit of uh, inspiration in terms of creating anxiety and tension from uh, gambling in Uncut Gems from California Split. Uh, the Hot Rock, which is a wonderful heist movie with also George Segal in a supporting role and, and Robert Duvall. Uh, I rewatched Michael Mann's Thief, which has celebrated its 40th anniversary. 40, uh, wow. Yeah, 40. It's an incredible film. Um, and then, and that this will actually lead into, um, trailers because the Loki trailer, um, was released, uh, not too long ago. I rewatched and it got a criterion release on Blu-ray defending your life with Albert Brooks and Meryl Streep. And it's about, uh, it's basically like a, a matter of life and death or it's a wonderful life kind of scenario where Albert Brooks plays a guy who dies and goes to heaven. But in order to get into heaven, he has to prove that you know he was he's worthy of that that he had courage and conviction in the living world and it's all about the bureaucracy of getting into heaven and sort of rip torn in a really wonderful supporting performance sort of is the guy that is going to make the determination whether or not albert brooks can get in and it reminded me of just watching that loki trailer a little bit of of terry gilliam's brazil as well but the idea of like even in supernatural settings, you can't escape bureaucracy and like the idea of just like having to go through the motions of, you know, signing applications or papers or waiting in line and how mundanity is even in the most surreal and, you know, awe-inspiring of, of locations. And I, I just kind of like that in, in movies that are kind of more kind of a little bit supernatural, but also kind of fantasy oriented. And and it's one of Albert Brooks's lesser directorial efforts, but I think him and Meryl Streep are both very good in the movie. And it's a fun little uh, modest movie that's now available on Criterion Blu-ray and on the Criterion channel. And yeah, it's, it's, it's really solid. Nice man. Um, <clears throat> yeah. And then on my end, I've um, continued my watch of Invincible, which you guys can check out uh, Eric and I's um, review of the first three episodes, which we mentioned, but episode four is out now. Um, I liked it quite a bit. Um, I, I, I'm in, I'm so intrigued because I'm a huge fan of the comic and now I might even go back and reread the comic again. It's, I, I have that itch and um, because I, it's interesting seeing what they've moved up, what they change around. Um, I just, uh, I'm, I'm so happy that this is out there for people to experience as well. And I just think that they're doing such a good job with the voice cast and, and um, just the show in general. And it's just so cool to see an, an adult animated invincible show hour long on Amazon prime and um, really like this episode. It's planting the seeds for a lot of different storylines. And again, the order that they're telling this, I think is fascinating. And there's a great episode of the kind of funny podcast too, with Robert Kirkman, uh, creator of the walking dead and invincible. He, he jumped on their show to talk with Greg, Nick and Tim about invincible and, and just the creation of the show and, and how he's approaching it now, like almost, you know, two decades later, after he first started it and how he's able to kind of relook at that the beginnings of it all and kind of retell it even though they have this great story but just update it in certain ways or move things around and kind of optimize how he wants to tell this story for a different medium and uh, I think he's nailing it so far I thought the episode going to Mars with Mark and the, the NASA team and the sequids and the the shapeshifter Martians and stuff like that is all really cool. The stuff with the robots been uh, been awesome, uh, teasing out some th- certain things. And Eric, did you get around I to watching it before? Yeah, yeah, no, because yeah. I was too busy watching the Empty Man and <laughs> uh, 
Spider-Man, the 90s animated series. Nice, nice. Um, and then quickly, uh, before you can talk, if you want to talk about Spider-Man, unless you did while I went to the bathroom. No, I um, didn't. But I was just going to, I'll just quickly say with that, um, I'll actually save that for our next Marvel conversation, really. But I, I had forgotten that the show introduces Spider-Man during his college years. And that even though I love, J- I think J.K. Simmons is the definitive um, J. J. Jonah jo- yeah. Jameson. I forgot that Ed Asner did the voice right. of, of Jay Jonah, and he's really, really good. He's perfect. Yeah. yeah, he's great. I wonder, there's those rumors. Did you watch it because of the rumors that the 90s voice actor is going to be in Spider-Verse 2? No, I just watched it because I was I was just feeling nostalgic. And I watching that show, I remember as a kid being told that, oh, it, it, like by teachers and things like that, that it it shows like Batman, the animated series and Spider-Man, the animated series weren't good for you or they had no educational purpose. Yeah. But Spider-Man, like that character, I mean, even though not everything is, is real, but that character is a perfect role model for great kids. Power comes great responsibility. Well, not just that, just in terms of like enjoying and being interested and, and inquisitive and, and yeah. looking into science and, and I was sort obsessed of, with Peter Parker. Come on. Like- Peter Parker. And, and watching this, I, I truly have, Reestablish that I think Spider-Man is my favorite Marvel character yeah, and totally. the ridiculous sort of pedestal he puts himself up to and trying to be the best version of himself um, is, is, is amazing. Yeah. I just, this was the show that I kind of, I was realizing, Oh yeah. Peter Parker is, is amazing. And like, yeah. So He's selfless. always been my favorite. Yeah. And just, I think I connected more cause he was a, you know, he was a young kid when, you know, when all the Marvel heroes are mostly like adults. And um, I just connected with that and seeing him grow up in this role. And I've always, Spider-Man has always been my favorite Marvel character. And um, so glad that there, we've gotten so much amazing Spider-Man stuff. And I know we're kind of repeating ourselves. When Except we talk for about the amazing Spider-Man. Sure, but even then, like how they're going to bring that into Spider-Man Three is going to if be they so. Do. Um, if they do, it hasn't been confirmed. Yeah, I mean they are. Um, anyways, uh, also uh, continuing with Falcon and the Winter Soldier and Eric. I don't. I feel like we talked about this, but maybe it was just off. No, we do, air. we did off air. We okay because I was saying um, that this the the last episode was the most Marvel conventional, Studios. and it yeah, felt yeah. like not even just Marvel, but like conventional from a tv plot perspective where you have the mechanics or the moving pieces all kind of going in certain directions that you know that okay this is where things are going to pay off but you have to move these pieces these chess pieces in order to get to the payoff because there's only three episodes left so it feels almost like this episode episode four is the one where it's like okay we have you know the flag smasher stuff over here we have uh the walker stuff over there then we're introducing zemo Zemo, in this episode and sort of bringing him into the fold and also we're bringing in um sharon and sort of kind of all that stuff and then we get like the power broker and then we get john madripoor madripoor (laughs) so like it just kind of feels like there's a lot of moving pieces that are obviously to set the stage for the last Finale, yeah. little bit of the show. And, and it, it just, it, there's a lot of exposition and setup. 
Totally. And I think I, I enjoyed the exposition in the setup in the episode. I like kind of a pseudo retcon for Zemo to make him Baron Zemo. And like, I'm totally fine with it. Like these are comic book shows and movies get comic booky. And I'm like, make him the purple masked like Baron Zemo. I'm all for it. Set like up a the foot thund- soldier from the cartoon. Like, yeah. of Thought, set up the Thunderbolts. I'm all for it. Like what Sharon Carter up to? I thought she was awesome in the episode. Like I still like Bucky and Sam's back back and forth um i'm really in, super intrigued by john walker we didn't get a lot of him in the episode but i love wyatt russell so like it, it's definitely i agree with you that it felt the most conventional out of you know all of the disney plus marvel stuff we've seen so far from wandavision leading into falcon and winter soldier but like i'm also okay with that too like yeah it had a lot of john wick it had a lot of your you no know, typical cd underbelly assassin type kind of stories but um i'm intrigued to see what we're going to get in those last three episodes and I, I i mean and that i think is a perfect segue into kind of our news and trailer segment of uh, a couple big pieces of news the biggest being disney finally you know, uh, ripped the bandaid off and decided to put uh, a, f- uh, a slew of their upcoming slate with Cruella and Luca, Luca being free to all Disney plus members like soul. Uh, and like soul was. So Pixar weirdly gets that treatment on Disney plus, but then Cruella is going to be a Disney plus premiere access got delayed slightly into uh, May. Correct. Like later into May. Yeah. Or, um, I thought it was June, but it might- in May. Or it stayed in May, but then Black Widow got pushed into July, July, July July 9th, I believe. Um, Yes, you are correct with July 9th. And then Black Widow, the big news being that it is also going to be going to Disney Premier Access for $30 on Disney Plus. which is wild. They they talked about it for so long. They probably could have done it a year ago, but and weirdly they enough, they can't hold off anymore. I it's, don't think. Weirdly enough, it's as theaters are opening back up that they decided to do this. The, obviously, they're not opened up everywhere, especially in international markets like Canada and other places in Europe. Uh, in the U.S., we saw L.A. and New York started to open their theaters, as well as the country is starting to get you know vaccinated. Like they have the best you know vaccination rollout in the entire world right now ironically um they had the worst you know, lockdown but the best vaccination cl- classic united states of america where they just completely go you know what fuck all of this we're not going to listen to anything and at the last second they're like oh yeah we'll just vaccinate everyone and we'll be gucci and um and like whatever it's how's that doing I'm, in I'm, ontario I'm very jealous of all of our United. I'm glad everyone, our, our U.S. friends are getting vaccinated and almost some of them have their second doses. Places are starting to open up certain places faster than others and maybe too fast in certain places. The Blue Texas. Jays game yesterday in Texas was fully packed and that doesn't make any sense to me. But um, ironically, yeah, Disney decided to do the premiere access now for Black Widow. We got a new trailer for Black Widow on the weekend. Um I mean, I didn't need to see more footage from the movie. I mean, I, 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 it looks like a Mission Impossible kind of spy thriller. I'm totally all in on it. We got a little bit more Taskmaster, got a little bit more, um, you know, of her family and stuff like that. But I, I mean, I'm all in on it. I, I, it'll be interesting now going back to Marvel movies after now going to be finished two Disney Plus series and then going back to a character who did, you know, spoilers pass away in Endgame and and be a prequel kind of, but in between civil war and infinity war. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm glad that they've decided to kind of put it on Disney plus. I think giving people the option is the smart thing. And, and I think it's something we predicted for a long time because of the intricate 
television style, everything is a chapter of this overall story that they needed to get this out. Um, or else it was probably going to start messing up, you know, the, continuity. The, whole, the continuity of everything. So I don't know your thoughts on it, Eric. Um, I mean, this is the biggest profile movie that they'll be putting on premier access and it must've worked relatively well for them for Riot and the last dragon for them to do this. Or do you think this is something is just out of necessity? Like they have to. Oh, Eric is offline. I don't know what happened. Never mind, Eric, because now we'll be taking a short break. Matt, oh, are, are you, you back? Yeah, yes. yeah. Oh, there we go. <laughs> I, I was going to cut, but now you're back. So yes, I'm good. back. Because so, you, you disappeared. I was like, did so did happen? you. Yeah. It said you went offline for a quick second. What? Well, you're Same. back. I was going to yeah. cut the podcast, but it seems like it's still recording. Oh, it's so riveting stuff. This is like um, in real time. It's happening. I asked you're getting you a to see question, the and then like, yeah, yeah I, I heard that you were asking me what my people, thoughts about Black Widow. You know, uh, and then it kind of cut out. Eric but, and I, Eric and I are free flowing. I could edit all that out, but you know what? If you made it this long, you might as well see how the the sausage is made. So, and also, Matt, it's just really lazy. It's a lot easier for me to just keep recording. <laughs> so, no, I, I don't mean Matt is lazy. I just, it, I, I get where you're coming from. It's just, it's more of a hassle, and it's not that big of a blip. Um, you know, but it it is a blip in terms Anyways, of the Marvel um, universe. Yeah. So, uh, your thoughts on Black Widow finally, you know, uh, coming to Disney Plus? I mean, this is the thing, like. I totally get why they're doing it, and I think they kind of probably maybe should have done this before, but I, looking at how this is all kind of played out for the MCU, you know, we went a year without anything. Now we're getting all this content back to back to back, and I'm not necessarily sick of it yet, um, because I think something like WandaVision kind of shows you, okay, well, they are very much open to going in different directions and, and playing with it. Um, but it's also now saying like they can only wait so long and they can only delay things so long. So you have Loki, the series Loki coming up next, and we'll talk about that soon with the trailer. Um, but with that, I think that's going to be introducing, uh, some aspects that will kind of bleed into the next Dr. Strange movie and maybe even a little bit of Black Widow and, since you keep moving these films, you have to think, okay, well, Shang-Chi was supposed to open this summer, you know, then you have Eternals, which maybe is the one that you could kind of delay a little bit longer because it's not necessarily connected to phase four as like an overall arc. Like it kind of feels like Doctor Strange is going to be the one that kind of will, or, or the new Spider-Man movie and the Doctor Strange film, you need to have those movies kind of premiering you know, close, to one, close to one another, but uh, like, I even feel with, with, with black widow. Now they're just kind of like, well, we can't wait any longer. I mean, originally Falcon and the winter soldier was supposed to be the first series and then it was going to be WandaVision. And then like, y- you're looking at it now and you're kind of like, okay, it sucks because black widow, it took so long for them to make a solo black widow movie. And it's like, it finally happens. And it's like, now it's going to be a day and date premiere release. And it's like, you know, the, the one of the few female leading films <laughs> gets a premiere uh, day and day release. So really, so I, I hope that by the time we get to captain Marvel two, um, that will be a theatrical only. I think it will. Um, I, it just I don't sucks think because like is... it feels you 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 feel kind of bad in some ways because it's like again this character that it's like the idea of bringing her and giving her her own story and telling 
that side of things. It's like, okay, we're going to give it to you. And then the pandemic happens. And now it's like, okay, we're still going to give it to you, but this is the one we can sort of basically cut loose and throw to, uh, to subscribers. But I mean, if uh, Godzilla versus Kong is any, you know, bright kind of light at the end of the tunnel is that it was available on, uh, HBO Max and it still made a good amount of money on its it was a 5-day super long weekend or whatever that they um tallied the numbers but people did go out to a cinema to go see that movie and that's Godzilla versus Kong right and yes people i think now that they're vaccinated in the US are clamoring to you know for experiences and different things like that so i i do feel like we'll see a bounce back at the box office and i still it really depends on the deals disney makes with the with the you know the cinemas and 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 stuff like that of how many theaters this will play in and and i do think given the option people will want to go to the theater to watch this but i do think there'll also be a big group of people that don't mind shelling out the 30 dollars to watch it at home um uh, for us it looks like it's going to be a home thing which is fine i I prefer to see it in a cinema i am like a year plus into this now and it's been oh god almost a like a while since we even saw tenet and stuff like that how dare you erase new mutants Um, I, I'm just, I want that experience so badly. So I'll definitely, once I'm vaccinated and stuff like that, be eager to go back. But um, that doesn't look like it'll be in time for us for, who knows, but for Black Widow. But we'll see. But I like that they have the option. I don't think that this is the damn wall being broken down and that every you know major release for Disney is going to be on Premiere Access. I really think it's just, this is what we have to do right now. And you'll see... I think it'll evolve over time and I'm curious to see how that will evolve, but I think it's a good move right now and I don't mind having to watch black widow at home, but I would have preferred to see it at in a theater. Yeah. Well, people also who are getting vaccinated now in Ontario say they get their first shot. I'm, I'm speaking from, um, family members point of view I've had a few that have been vaccinated and uh, getting their first shot. Their second shot isn't until July, yeah, right? Yeah. So Disney in Canada and in Ontario specifically, they're probably thinking, okay, well, like if people are starting to get vaccinated now, the earliest that people will get their second shot will be July. So they'll probably look at this again in the summer and say, like, okay, like what do we like? Are we at a point now where we can start releasing these things theatrically again and have? you know, traditional press screenings and things like that. Uh, you know, I, I, I honestly think it's going to be a very kind of um, sort of tight race to that finish line, especially yeah. even with TIFF. Like, I think like, TIFF, I is think TIFF be will be similar to last year. I yeah. think I don't think there'll be press in person. And I think it'll be similar to last year, a little bit more open because people will be vaccinated by then, I think. So I think it'll be more in person stuff, but I still think you're going to see a pretty similar festival uh, to last year. But I mean, it's just good to see that theaters are starting to open and people are getting vaccinated in the U S and, and it looks like, you know, we're, we, it's hard to say cause things change every couple of weeks like they did before, but you are starting to see parts of the world, you know, get this vaccine, get it to their people and things start to open up sometimes again, like we said, a little faster than probably they should. Um, but Hey, um, we got to be a little positive. So um, I'm excited to get back to theaters. I hope it's in time for Black Widow, but I'm also glad that we have the option to watch it at home. Uh, Eric, you did mention we got to see the trailer for Loki as well. Uh, surprisingly that Disney just dropping all of the stuff kind of at once, but 
uh, our first actual trailer for Loki, because before they kind of during the uh, investors meeting showed us a big trailer, but they called it a clip or something like that. Anyways, um, I'm into this time hopping kind of, uh, uh, you know, sci-fi adventure starring Tom Hiddleston. And like, I like that it's this version of Loki that we haven't seen that, you know, character growth that he got in dark world ragnarok and infinity war where it is this villainous version of loki that is loki variant yeah that is jumping around and i love his all his interactions with uh owen wilson and just the a midnight paris reunion the overall yeah the overall vibe of the tva and everything that we saw in this trailer i just think is so cool and i it does feel like it's veering it's that it seems like it's that perfect middle ground between the weirdness of WandaVision and those action sequences that we're getting in like Falcon and the winter soldier. So like I'm, I'm all in on this and I love the colors and just the overall aesthetic of everything. And I just think it looks gorgeous. And like, um, I love time travel stories and it's, that it seems like they're going all in on this and that Loki's been time jumping, um, to, uh, to different points in history and fucking with the timeline. So like I I'm, I'm all in on this and they've been nailing it with all the Disney plus series. And I'm, um, I, I didn't think I needed a Loki, you know, series. Um, that seemed like something being like, do we really need this? Um, they already killed off the character. Like, what is this even like? I like Tom Hiddleston as, as Loki. I know you're kind of, uh, I'm, I'm excited to hear your thoughts. Cause you said you're actually kind of looking forward to this and you've kind of already brought them up on the show, but, um, I'm intrigued to see how involved this will be with what you said with like the multiverse or, or kind of these other films and if they're going to bring Loki back into the main timeline or anything like that. But um, I just love the aesthetic of this thing and I, I can't wait for it. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they brought Tom Hiddleston back into either the next Doctor Strange movie and haven't announced it yet or even into you know uh, the the next Thor film like as a, in a smaller role and because I mean they've already Disney has already announced and I think you mentioned this on a previous show that um they already greenlit a season 2 so you know they they feel quite confident in this show as as a more than a one off uh, series event where WandaVision kind of feels like, even though it's, it's amazing. I I'm kind of happy to just leave it at those episodes that, that, that run um, where Falcon and winter soldier and Loki kind of feel like, okay, you can make this more episodic or kind of at least keep this going for a few seasons and sort of connecting the dots between film and TV or creating a bridge between the two. Yeah, I, I think the best part of this trailer, what has me excited about it, is the again the bureaucracy and just yeah. the idea of like I love the the bit where you know like sign all these you know documents everything saying everything you ever said, ever said yeah. and and like he says this is absurd and then you know sign this as well. Um, again, reminds me of Brazil or defending your life or a matter of life and death and things like that. Where again, like even in the most surreal or supernatural or fantasy filled. Um, of locations you still have to deal <laughs> with you know standing in line or you know meet waiting to meet an agent or or you know somebody there like a, at a dmv or something like that like it's just that's the kind of stuff i always like in very heightened stylized films or tv shows where it, it kind of plays on that a little bit like you just can't escape it no matter what no matter what reality you're in um yeah, so I, I'm curious about that. I don't 
dislike Tom Hiddleston, but Tom Hiddleston's one of those guys that it feels like he always tries a little too hard to be liked. And that comes off in his performances. Now I, I really liked him in the Joanna Hogg movies like souvenir and things like that, or not souvenir, but, um, uh, those films, and then also in Jim Jarmusch's uh, Only Lovers Left Alive, which I think is yeah, almost like him playing the best version of Loki, which is almost kind of like the most apathetic version of Loki, uh, which actually is kind of funny because that was a role originally um, meant for uh, Michael Fassbender, but he had to drop out due to scheduling. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm not against this. And, and again, like as a half an hour show – each and every week. Is it I half think. hour or half hour? an hour, hour, yeah. whatever. I mean, like I, I think it'll be a fun kind it'll of watch. Fun, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm going to go pick up my food cause it's getting here, but um, other trailers we got this week. Um, and I'll, I want your thoughts on Eric. Um, uh, we got James Gunn's the suicide squad. We got two different trailers. We got a spiral trailer. Uh, we got a space jam, a new legacy trailer. We got some more mortal Kombat stuff. Uh, where do you want to start there? We should start with Suicide Squad because I okay. think that that's the one that is the most interesting food. in talking. terms of is this a reboot or is this still somewhat connected to the David Ayer uh, version? Do not release the Ayer cut, please. Um, but I think it will – or it basically shows you what uh, Warner Brothers wanted with Suicide Squad when Guardians, the first Guardians – was released and how popular it was. They wanted to kind of, you know, ape on the success of Guardians of the Galaxy and interject more comedy into the first Su- Suicide Squad movie. So, you know, why not hire the guy who, you know, made Guardians and make Suicide Squad the R-rated version of Guardians? And that's exactly what this is. And and yeah. I think like down to King Shark, which I'm so excited to see on screen. Uh, voice great by in the Harley S- Quinn show too, which voiced by Sylvester out. Stallone in the film version um, is exciting. But again, like I mean, that's basically your version of Groot in in Suicide Squad or yeah. the Suicide Squad. It, it very be, much very is R-rated there. Guardians of the Galaxy, and I'm here for it. I mean, I it's something again. We're repeating ourselves, but like DC. I like that they've kind of just gone, you know what, make the movie that you want to make. It's, if it kind of works in the continuity, great. If it doesn't, who cares? Just kind of run with it and like we'll let you guys make the movie that you want to make, which is kind of exciting with the more recent take it or I mean, good or bad with something like Wonder Woman 1984, or then you get kind of that movie, but then we get things like like this. So I, I'm definitely um I'm definitely all in on it. I don't think I was as hot on the trailer as some other people, but I was definitely, you know, into it. And um I do really think that first team is just gonna get McGrubered and just explode and like um, Which is a shame because Captain die. Boomerang, the great Jack He'll probably Courtney. die. Yeah. I yeah. think I think that whole team is just going to die in the opening bit of the movie and then you'll get the real team coming in who's that secondary team so i think everyone but harley quinn dies on that first team and then they have a secondary team that has to do the actual mission so i think they'll do uh uh, yeah that kind of mcgruber style gag where everyone just dies in those opening moments of the movie um so yeah i really dug i it was weird that they dropped i guess one was a green band trailer which is why they dropped that other one but it was I just like the green band more than the the sort of I, I mean it had a more serious kind of um tinge to it but i did uh vibe with the green band trailer a little bit more um than the r-rated trailer but i i'm i mean i'm all in either way i think james gunn's great so um 
uh, I'm all for it. Uh, we did get a new Spiral trailer, um, which, I will, which I will talk about briefly. I mean, you know I'm in. Um, they are very much, you know, you've always talked about that the original Saw movie was essentially a ripoff of Seven. Um, this is very blatant that it's kind of even more so um, uh, of, a you know, trying to play up more of the police procedural thriller aspects of it more than the horror torture porny kind of elements of saw um so which i know has always been a part you know a a detective being a major part of every saw movie and 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 you know eventually one of the killers and things like that but um as the movies became dumber and dumber um but anyways i'm i like seeing chris rock here i like seeing kind of um someone who seems like they're very passionate about the franchise and like we said more comedians inserting themselves into horror and um you know that i I don't know if i'll rewatch all the saw movies leading up to it i made a joke about that um i might rewatch like one two and three which are the ones that i genuinely kind of enjoy everything other than that i think (laughs) our garbage um and uh does this do anything for you and you i know we have kind of a funny back and forth where you make fun of me for liking saw but um would you not watch this if it wasn't no, I'll, for me? I'll watch it I'll, yeah. no no I'll, I'll watch it don't get me wrong i don't have any standards when it comes to watching things but i just i've never cared for the saw movies um in any shape or form and i remember like being weirdly excited for that first film uh, back in 2004, if you can believe how long oh that's been, um, but 15 years. But it is interesting that now you 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 take a series that kind of ran its course and kind of overstayed its welcome and it's stale, and now you're rebooting it because you know they're fairly cheap. They're shot in Toronto. They're quick to make. But Jigsaw was kind of like that movie that was supposed to be sort of the 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 rebirth of the franchise, and that kind of stagnated. Um, and now you have rock coming in who, again, interestingly enough, like when he hosted the Oscars back in 2000 for the 2004, 2005 season, and he went to one of the LA movie theaters and interviewed people and asked them, had they seen the films that were nominated for best picture of that year? Everybody said no. And he asked them like what they had seen. And a lot of people said saw. Um, so I am curious to see like what rock will bring to it and if there will be more of a horror comedy tinge and maybe some self-aware humor. I mean, it already kind of feels a little bit self-aware, not in sort of like a laugh out loud way, but like the idea of like a copycat killer copying the jigsaw killer who was copied by his disciples. And then the idea of this be saw being a copy of, seven or silence of the lambs (laughs) and then like silence of the lambs and seven being responsible for other movies like that like there is literally a film with sigourney weaver and holly hunter called copycat which is about a copycat killer uh where harry connick jr plays like this gross acne ridden serial killer um so it's almost like it is kind of imploding on itself in this weird way but this is happening now where it's like the, the studios look at these franchises, they give them some time to kind of cool off. You don't have a lot to put into them in terms of like creating interesting material. And we're getting another paranormal activity reboot coming down the line. The thing that fasc- fascinates me the most is that something like Friday the 13th 
can't reboot anymore. Like it's it's this it's just so tangled with the studio and with Paramount and like they don't know what to do with it. But it's so simple. It's just like all you need is a group of kids getting high and having sex and then a Someone killer killing them. Hockey mask kills them. Yeah, yeah. Um, where this is this is those movies, and it now feels almost like they they're they're trying to build up their credibility because they've had you know seven to eight previous sequels or chapters or whatever you want to call them and now it's like this one you know for the for the saw franchise or the saw universe is now like there's some legitimacy uh here and it's just it's it's fascinating and bizarre in the same way, but like, I, I, it's not going to be like, and it's kicking Logan off the summer movie season, baby. Oh, for fuck's <laughs> sakes. Uh, I'm, I'm curious. I hope it surprises you. It probably won't, but I hope it does. Um, quickly. Um, cause my food is here and I really want to eat. Sorry. everyone. <laughs> um, space jam. Uh, I wasn't, I mean, it looks like ready player one with basketball. I know that's the kind of uh, obvious cliche that everyone's talking about. Warner brothers, also the filmmakers or the studio behind uh, ready player one. It just seems like, you know, let's put all of our IP in one movie. Um, I love the original Space Jam. It's not a great movie, but it's very, very nostalgic to me, much like the Mighty Ducks movies were. Um, and I, I think this could be fun. I think it'll be the perfect streaming movie. Like, I don't need to go to a theater to see this. Um, but I, I I just hope Michael Jordan shows up. But I don't think that will happen. Uh, I don't know. If no, everybody else even, will. Though. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So I don't know. I don't really have much to say other than I think it looks fun. Um, and I'm excited to watch it at home. <laughs> I think it looks like commercial vomit. And yeah. I mean, I have a nostalgia for the first space jam movie as well but i mean having rewatched it after watching the last dance it truly is one of those films where it is you know you're a child and you love the looney tunes and you know michael jordan was this phenomenon bill murray shows up yeah wayne knight who's you know always ready to to fuck um I just keep thinking of that photo of him in, in Basic Instinct, and and, and there's a joke on a podcast I listen to. And it's like, yeah, Wayne Knight was just built to to fuck. It's just you know, like, good for him, man. Um, but yeah, I like, I overall just think it looks like ridiculous. disgusting. Like, like the, in the, same the Maltese way I Falcon thing that I texted you, which was funny. I hate like, it. Some or people Game are of Thrones like, universe. Game of Thrones. Or, They're like a Clockwork Clockwork Orange. They're like, wow, you can't have Pepe Le Pew in in it because he's kind of rapey but you have the literal rapist droogs yeah yeah from from clockwork orange and like um yeah the fury road guys like uh you saw uh cat both Catwoman, um like every every warner brothers franchise you'll see a cameo from a character in in this and it just i don't know like it's like a where's waldo kind of some of, of the warner charm brothers of space jam is it's the looney tunes right like you don't need all this other nonsense and like also it's not even in space anymore. No, like I well, guess also animating space, LeBron James like, as well, yeah. right? Like that's I'm the fine other with thing. that, but like whatever. Um, I I don't know. I I I think it'll be a perfectly whatever watch at home. Um, I'm not necessary. I'm just pretty indifferent on it, to be honest. Yeah, um, I just don't care. And yeah. and the only thing I I hope is that LeBron James, like Michael Jordan, got his own personal basketball. Uh, gymnasium uh, built yeah. next to the set. I hope so too. Um, I think that's 
pretty much it. There was a few things uh, here and there. Um, as for news, I thought the Black Widow stuff was the the biggest thing. Uh, there's all, obviously a lot of stuff that we've missed over the last couple of weeks. I think today, sticking in that Marvel thing, Sean Bobbitt is going to be the cinematographer on Captain Marvel 2. Um, which I think is really cool. He's a great cinematographer. So, you know, the more interesting cinematographers you bring on, the more interesting looks we have to these Marvel movies as well. Um, you also have, I mean, going off of the, getting away from the Marvel thing, just a little bit, you have Jordan Peele's movie, which is starting to go into production, just cast, uh, Steven Yeun, which, uh, I'm really excited about. Um, that seems like it's going to be a really interesting movie. Um, Alex Garland's new film went into production. Um, it looks like uh, called Men, which is exciting. That is starring Jesse Buckley. Uh, yeah, so I mean, there's, there's. It seems like things are starting to adapt to the landscape of working within the pandemic now a little bit more smoothly compared to when everything was abruptly halted last year and and yeah. that kind of thing. Oh, quickly, the one thing I do want to mention. So I am obsessed and in love with a show called How To with John Wilson Oh yeah, that I embarrassingly did not start watching until a couple weeks ago. And I got through all six episodes in like a day. Um, it's cringe comedy, but it's also kind of like these point of view, weird, like little sort of essays on life and sort of takes minute sort of topics, whether it be scaffolding or laundry or, you know, uh, how to, how to split the check, things like that. And then where it goes contextually and sort of, it's bizarre. It's funny. It's awkward. I keep thinking about Kyle McLaughlin trying to use his Metro card in New York and how it completely fails him. And it's one of the most relatable things I've seen on screen in quite some time or like Jackie Chan's career being Do you think that was attributed to no? scaffolding. Oh, I don't, I don't know. And I don't care. I don't care. It's just funny. I <laughs> know. Like I when agree. he goes to Cancun in the first episode, it's, it's, it's amazing. And um, in the last episode, episode six, like it gets into like it, it, it kind of dovetails into when the pandemic was happening and how to make risotto. Um, but but it is it's kind of melancholy and bittersweet. And John Wilson has a very distinct voice. And I can see a lot of people being a little bit deterred by that. But I actually think he's very enduring and inquisitive. And the way that people op- open up to him and having these conversations is amazing. And I also thought of the multiverse because there's an episode where it, he goes down this conspiracy theory rabbit hole of like looking at certain things and like how we perceive things or, or read things by memory and then looking at them, how they actually are presented. There's this group of people that believe that we're in a different alternate universe instead of like seeing like, you know, objects are closer in, in the mirror than they might appear or like how things are spelt, like Febreze having two E's or one E and like, it's just this ridiculous again, like so specific and niche, but like, if you love that stuff, it, it's incredible. It's very, very funny. I'm only <clears throat> like two episodes in, but I really like it. I mean, if you like um, Nathan Fielder and he, Nathan Fielder is a producer on the show and um, which you should go watch his show as well. It's, it's so funny, but yeah, I'm totally with you. I think that's a perfect place to end it, Eric. It also made me um, miss people watching just I in agree. general. Like that oh, was the one thing. I, so much fun. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, thank you all for listening. As we mentioned many times on this episode, we have another podcast called Untitled Movie po- uh, uh, Untitled Movie Reviews, which we would love for you guys to go check out. Lots of new reviews, which we mentioned um, earlier, for you guys to go check out. Um, you're listening to Untitled Movie Podcast. We also have Untitled Movie Conversations, which we hope to get back up and running. This year has been weird, everyone. Um, but yeah, uh, please go follow us on all the social medias at untitled underscore cast, and you can, uh, drop us a review if you would be so kind on your podcast service of choice for that trilogy of podcasts. Um, quick, uh, update for Eric and I, we're going to be doing a watch along with kind of funny, uh, with Nick Scarpino and Snowbike Mike, uh, over on their Twitch channel on wednesday which is the depending on when you're listening to this the seventh so either uh if you've missed it um sorry you can't watch it but it will be live at 10 30 p.m eastern 7 30 p.m pacific time Uh, i don't know if we're allowed to reveal the movie we'll be watching but it should be a good time so eric and i will be watching the movie live with them and kind of reacting to it and i'm gonna give a hint but it's a hint that's gonna be really hard to to we saw a movie at Sundance that references it. Yeah, that is very, very true. Um, thank you all for listening. As always, my name is Matt Rohrbeck. You can find more of my work around the internet at uh, mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com. And you can follow me on all those social medias at Matt Rohrbeck. And I'm Eric March, and you can find more of my video reviews at rogerstv.com slash cinemascene and on the social medias at EM6211. Until next time.